0: Welcome to Weber Wenzel Legal Insights. With over 150 years of experience and deep industry knowledge, Weber Wenzel is the leading full-service law firm on the African continent.
1: Welcome to this special edition podcast by Weber Wenzel, where we delve into the recent High Court judgment that has the potential to reshape parental leave rights in South Africa. Today, Weber Wenzel brings you a unique perspective on the recent groundbreaking FANVEK versus Minister of Employment and Labour case in a discussion with our human rights, occupational health and safety, and employment law experts. I am your host, Mbalentle Nkosi, a senior associate at Weber Wenzel. And joining me today is Nkosi Natitema from our pro bono team who represented the FANVEKs in this case. We also have Kate Collier, a partner and seasoned expert in occupational health and safety, joined by partners in our employment team, Dion Vasahi and Brett Abraham, to answer some of the questions that many employers may be thinking following this judgment. The way we approach the law is heavily influenced by our different professional backgrounds, whether it's in public interest, occupational health and safety, or employment law. By combining these perspectives, we ensure our clients' interests are well represented not only within the current legal framework but by also anticipating how the law might change as a result of developing legal climates. Our aim in today's discussion is to usher in these changes, perhaps trigger some thoughts and conversations about the changes with a well thought out approach. And what better way to do that than with the legal experts who are at the forefront of the parental leave legal developments. But before we delve into it, let's start with a behind-the-scenes look with Nkosinati Tema. Nkosinati, why did Weber Wenzel take on this case and what was the pain point for the Fenveig family?
0: Thank you Mbali thanks for having me. When the Van Vake had their first child, they would have preferred for Mr. Van Vake to be the primary caregiver of the child. Mr. Van Vake was a salaried employee and was keen and willing to be the child's primary caregiver. Mrs. Van Vake, on the other hand, was self-employed and wanted to resume her trade as soon as she could. The Basic Conditions of Employment Act, however, did not allow this to happen, and they felt this was unequal and they sought to challenge it in court and this is how the matter came across our desk. When looking at the matter we realized that it's a public interest law matter and it speaks to issues of inequality. More than that however in addressing the, inu- the underlying inequality one is able to partly address intersectional issues such as the gender pay gap, economic justice and social justice. All of these issues fall within the purview of Weber Wenzel's public interest law work. And it is for that reason that we took on the matter.
1: That's excellent, Nkosnati And, and the High Court obviously shared the same sentiments as the FunVEX and yourselves, because it found that Sections 25 and 25A to C of the Basic Conditions of Employment Act were inconsistent with sections 9 and 10 of the constitution to the extent that they unfairly discriminate between mothers and fathers or between one parent and another based on whether a child was born of the mother, conceived by surrogacy or adopted. Now, the other thing that this judgment does and what the court does is that it proposed an alternative framework for parental leave. Brett, I'm going to rely on you for this, but could you unpack what the proposed alternative framework
2: is? Yes, Mbali, sure. So the High Court found that a single parent or two parents, regardless of their birthing status, should be collectively entitled to at least four consecutive months of parental leave. The High Court went beyond the relief that even the FANVEICS had sought regarding the distribution of caregiver entitlements between birthing parents and non-birthing parents to extend this to adoptive parents and surrogacy commissioning parents as well. So what the High Court did is it proposed, amongst other things, replacing the existing Section 25.1 of the BCEA, which deals with maternity leave, to entitle an employee – or a pair of parents collectively to at least four consecutive months of parental leave to be taken at their election, where either one parent takes the full period or each parent takes turns taking the leave. And that's provided only that the employers are notified By the two employees or the two birthing parents prior to the date of birth, in writing of their election, and if they're choosing a sharing arrangement, the period or periods to be taken by each parent.
1: Thanks, Brett. I think that's very clear in my mind, but I can't help but wonder, and I'm sure that employers are wondering the same, what the immediate implications of the High Court's order might be especially considering that parental leave rights were amended fairly recently in 2020 to cater for fathers, adoptive parents, and surrogacy commissioning parents. Nkosinati, I'm throwing this one back to you. Being at the call face of this matter, what is the status of these sections in the BCEA now?
0: So Mbali, for the time being, the BCEA provisions on maternity leave and parental leave are still in force and will remain so for some time. Given that the judgment deals with the constitutionality of an existing statute, in this case the maternity leave and parental leave rights provided for in the BCEA, the order must be brought before the Constitutional Court for confirmation, whether the High Court's finding in respect of these provisions is correct. And if the order is appropriate in the circumstances, then the Constitutional Court will confirm this. This will entail looking at the arguments through the lens of the Bill of Rights as the High Court had done.
1: Okay, so there is still a little bit of a process that needs to be followed until we see these, these changes in the law. Staying on a human-centered perspective, one of the well-known objectives of maternity leave is a time to bond with and nurture a newborn baby. Of course, providing parents the agency to choose how to divide that time in line with a gender-neutral approach to caregiving gives effect to greater dignity and equality to those parents who do not have the option to assume that role previously. But we also can't ignore that another important objective of maternity leave is a period of recovery for a birthing parent. Kate, from an occupational health and safety perspective, please share your thoughts on what implications the order might have from this perspective.
3: As a health and safety lawyer, what interests me particularly about this matter is the impact that this may have, if confirmed in its current form or similar changes, will have on the way in which employers have to assess and respond to risk in their workplace when birthing parents return to work. Current risk assessment methodologies and the way in which employers allow for birthing parents to return to work would have been based on the safe presumption that a birthing parent would have been on maternity leave for the entire period prescribed or longer when employers um, allow for that. But given that a birthing parent may now elect to return to work sooner, that will require employers to take a differentiated approach based on their workplaces, the particular hazards in those workplaces, and the factors unique to those returning parents to ensure that they are able to have their health and safety safeguarded in the workplace. And what makes this particularly interesting is that it's not just about physical safety, It's about your mental wellness and well-being in the workplace, too. We know that the Act contemplates a period of six weeks um, minimum, um, I suppose, physical recovery after birth, but that may not be, be sufficient for some birthing parents. And we also know that the Act contemplates a medical practitioner signing off a birthing parent as being ready to come back to work. So from a health and safety perspective, we would want to see that being informed by an occupational medical practitioner who is fully versed in the specific workplace hazards in that particular environment. So it's going to have to be a very nuanced approach and not necessarily just a one-size-fits-all rule anymore.
1: That's an interesting point, Kate. And and I think while we on the the issue of what employers need to consider, the High Court briefly discussed that distinction between the period to nurture a newborn and the period for physical recovery for a birthing parent, especially when considering why adoptive and commissioning surrogacy primary caregivers are afforded the 10 weeks leave as opposed to the 16. Now, in this regard, the court acknowledged that the first six weeks following the birth of a child is for the physical recovery of the birthing parent, but is also in parallel a time to nurture. Now, expanding the scope of those entitled to legal benefits, at least in my mind, might have unintended impact on birthing parents. What are some of the factors that employers would need to consider in this regard?
3: So as I mentioned, it's it's going to have to become a very workplace-specific and employee-specific consideration. Because once an employer is satisfied that an employee is physically safe to return to work, currently the BCA contemplates being approved by a medical practitioner. As a safety lawyer, I think that we may need that to be looked at by an occupational medical practitioner, as I've mentioned. But... There will also be obligations on employers in particularly high-risk environments to further assess the workplace in response to how they are accommodating those returning mothers or returning parents and the impact on their health and the health of their newborn. And we see this particularly with regard to the way in which the Code of Good Practice on the Protection of Employees during and after pregnancy requires employers to assess this risk And also, for example, in codes of practice that talk about making sure that employees are fit to return to work. Now, the current risk assessment frameworks will include an an assumption of a period of maternity leave, and that may now be changed, and it's going to require employers to have a far more employee-specific approach um, on a case-by-case basis, depending on the work that they do, the workplace environment that they are returning into, and how we can keep those employees safe on a day-to-day basis.
1: You make a good point about different measures being necessary for different workplaces and work practices. It's not actually quite as clearly stated in the case. Are there any other considerations
3: in this vein? Yes, in that every employer has an overarching obligation to ensure that employees are safe when they're at work, that extends to their physical health, um, their exposure to um, health hazards and, of course, to their mental health, and they will need to assess that for each individual on their return to work. There are, of course, guidelines and codes of good practice that need to be followed, um, and there are um, indicative documents issued by the International Labour Organization, which should be consulted from the perspective of international best practice. My view is that it's going to be very interesting to see how employers turn from having a fixed rule that requires birthing parents to come back to work after their prescribed period of maternity leave, fit and ready to return to work, when we now have birthing parents who may look to come back to work much earlier in that maternity recovery period.
1: Thank you, Kate. These are some very practical pointers on employee wellbeing in the wake of any amendments to the current maternity leave position. Now switching to the employment law considerations, and Dion, I'm going to rely on your expertise for this one. One of the questions that I'm grappling with is that even though the high court order is not effective, unless and until the constitutional court confirms it, the court nevertheless found that the current division of leave entitlements in the BCEA is unequal and discriminatory. Should employers expect an uptick in legal challenges to the parental leave benefits that they provide?
4: Thank you, Mbali. Yes, yes, you're right. You know, employers have always been exposed to claims that parental leave benefits they provide um, are discriminatory, um, particularly in circumstances where those benefits go beyond the minimum, the statutory minimum in in the BCAA which the High Court, by the way, is not determined to be inconsistent with the Constitution. The High Court order may encourage challenges, as employees may turn to the courts or to the CCMA or any other tribunal to vindicate what they believe to be an entitlement to a better parental leave benefit instead of simply doing so via individual or collective bargaining processes. But as Nkosinati indicated earlier, The law hasn't changed, and I think that's an important point. You know, unfair discrimination cases um, on this basis are no more laudable than they were before the order was made. Of course, you know, every unfair discrimination case is always assessed on its own merits. That, however, being said, it won't necessarily stop employees from bringing these types of claims um, in light of the judgment. But, you know, to get ahead of this possibility... Employees should communicate the consequences of this order, of this judgment to its workforce to dispel any misunderstanding or misinformation. Um, and in that way, hopefully that will not encourage employees to think that this judgment is a basis for going to court again on a unfair discrimination case. Agreed, Dion. It's
2: also worth revisiting the test for the unfair discrimination in the Employment Equity Act uh, for if and when employers are faced with claims of this nature. Remember... The possibilities, particularly in circumstances where employers offer enhanced parental leave benefits, are endless for claims of differentiation. And that's the starting point to any claim of unfair discrimination, is an employee need only contend that there is differentiation. And where that differentiation is on a listed ground... It's going to be to the employer to prove on a balance of probabilities that either the discrimination doesn't take place as alleged or that it is rational and not unfair or otherwise justifiable.
1: I think this is going to be an interesting time for employers now that you've added that layer as well. But this has now sparked another aspect for me. So on occasion, our employment team has advised, you know, have advised clients who express an interest in extending equal benefits to birthing and non-birthing parents in their policies. There is, of course, a difference between those employers who provide, you know, the statutory minimum requirements and those that offer maternity leave and parental leave benefits 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 in excess of what is provided for in the BCEA. What should those employers consider in anticipation of these changes, rather than reacting to it when it happens?
2: First and foremost, employers must accept that a measure of change is coming. Uh, While the Constitutional Court might not confirm this in exactly the same way as it's been framed in the High Court or the legislature may not do so, change will be coming. And what they need to be looking to do now already is to understand their workplace dynamics against the backdrop of existing entitlements and benefits that employees have in place to anticipate how these amendments are going to impact them if or when they're confirmed. This is going to involve an assessment of their current parental leave entitlements uh, and having a look at where these come from and how easily they may be changed or not changed. So, for example, what we should be doing is looking at where or to what extent there are parental leave benefits in contracts of employment, collective or bargaining council agreements, or whether these are simply included as policies or procedures or even practice at the workplace. There will be circumstances where some employers may say already that they have the financial and operational ability to implement changes akin to those that we are anticipating following the High Court order. Um, Equally, there are going to be employers who look at this and determine that the financial and operational costs may be too high to maintain their existing benefits. What that may do in turn is result in employers looking at the way in which they offer paid parental leave benefits, the extent to which they require work-back obligations, bearing in mind those would now only presently apply to mothers returning to work, and there may be circumstances where an employer will need to consult in order to seek to amend or change the extent to which these benefits are provided. That's easier said than done when these are contractual entitlements. And employers must also bear in mind that even where they have the ability to change these, that's in turn going to have an impact on workplace dynamics and talent retention.
1: Nkosinati, you mentioned that the judgment is not effective yet, pending confirmation from the Constitutional Court. Practically, what is the process for you know in order to obtain this confirmation and what are the possible timelines?
0: Mm. So, like I mentioned earlier on, the constitutional courts must be approached to confirm the High Court order. And this process may take any time between 12 to 18 months, perhaps even longer. At that point, however, there will there are a few possible outcomes that we might get from the courts. One, the constitutional court might confirm the high court's order as it is, or the constitutional court might propose an alternative reading in to apply while parliament corrects the constitutional defect. In which case, parliament is usually given about two years to make the necessary changes to the legislation. And in so doing, parliament will consult with its various stakeholders, one of whom will be Nedleg. Um, Worst case scenario, the constitutional courts may outright decline to confirm the high court's ruling.
1: The value of multidisciplinary teams at a juncture like this is that we draw on our experience with clients in the employment law realm, as well as the occupational health and safety space to inform the suggested changes to the BCEA that the public interest team will put forward in its application to the constitutional court. Weber Wenzel is at the forefront of the question of what the future of caregiver entitlements look like in a world with diverse family dynamics, whether it is a woman's desire to return to her career or a father's will to be involved in the precious first months of his newborn child or any other unique family configuration that deserves equitable recognition. Thank you to our experts and to you, our listeners. Thank you for joining us in the special edition podcast by Weber Wenzel. We hope that you found our insights valuable. If you have any further questions or need advice, please don't hesitate to contact us. For now, from us at Weber Wenzel, until next time.
0: You have been listening to Webber Wenzel Legal Insights. You can find and subscribe to the podcast on all major platforms. For more expert legal insights and updates, visit WeberWenzel.com.